I was so uh, organized, I had all my stuff ready to go, um, and I left my Bible at home. It's no, it's no great when you've got anything marked out and anything highlighted and for you're going to be speaking about, but that's why I was rummaging about for a version of a Bible that, that I had the same verses, and we can tell Kevin reads his Bible. He's got no cover left, and he's got no things, so that's, that's good for a pastor of church. But today, um, I really felt like um, I was reading through Esther about a month ago, and as I was going through it, I went through it again, and I really felt the Lord was putting a, a, a word in my heart that, that was for the church as well. And I spoke to Kevin, and um, we we got uh, this date in the in the diary, so I could I, I could come and share. What we're going to do is we're going to journey right through the book of Esther this morning. Um, it will be a, a whistle stop tour, but we're going to look at the the lives of Esther and Mordecai. You maybe can the you've maybe been through that book already. You maybe can it some some may not. But we're going to look at how they were used by the Lord to save his people from the noise of the enemy, and we'll get more into that in a second. But also, we're going to look at some of the key attributes for the story, and some of that is just in chapter 2 before we really get into the main section of it Esther and Mordecai did. But we're going to look at some of that key attributes for that uh, story that are still just as key for us today living in this this day and age. And and once we've been through this, I, I encourage you, even in your end time, I got a lot out of this book. And, and just, even if you've been there before, go back and study it again, because you'll get so much more. We're going to start in the reading in chapter 2, but I just want to summarize chapter 1 and give you the context of where we are, uh, just for the story. <clears throat> so in chapter 1, King Xerxes, that's how I'll say it anyway, was the king at the time, and he ruled over 127 provinces. It was the third year of his reign, and he decided to hold a banquet for all his nobles and officials. The banquet lasted 180 days, and through that time, I did was display his wealth and how much money he had. When it was over, Fidridi he decided to have another banquet for seven days for every single person from the lowest to the highest that was in the palace. There was no limits on what each guest was allowed to drink. And meanwhile, his queen, Queen Vashti, she was also given a banquet for uh, the woman in the royal palace. And on the seventh day, he brought... Um, on the seventh day of the, the banquet, King Xerxes, was, he was high in spirits. He'd, been, he'd a lot to drink. And he commanded his eunuchs who served him to go and get the queen to take her in. He wanted to take her in to, the, uh, to his banquet. He wanted to display. She was a beautiful woman. He wanted to display her beauty, show her off uh, while in parade her in front of Abdi so that they kent that she was his queen. In that day and age, it wasn't like just new, like... Um, uh, you would see Sandra and David sitting there next to each other or walking down the street, hudding hands as they are do. But uh, it sometimes could have been months before a, a husband seen his wife and she had to be summoned into the king's presence. And it could have been a long period. So she wasn't wanting to be paraded about and, 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 and 
this wasn't a fit she wanted, and for whatever reason, was gone through, and she made that decision. She refused. She didn't want to be the prize piece paraded in front of a drunk men in the, in the um, palace. So this enraged Xerxes, and he consulted the experts in the law and, ju- and justice. She had not obeyed the command of the king, and they certainly wasn't going to be the far said, uh, hey, come on, equal opportunities here, as they would have been uh, on the, the receiving end as well. But them as nobles, they were, were, were taking a rune, and they all, they all had their self-importance, and they was worried that their wives started to follow suit, and, and that they wouldn't have listened to their husband. And fast forward a couple thousand years, and this is far we're at. But at the time, they, they put a, a, an edict, and, and they got together, and they wrote this thing, and it went out to 127 provinces, every one in their own language, that every man will be a ruler of his household. And they, they said, this is going to show them. This will mark him respect us. I'm not sure. I think I would rather push folk away than mark him respect. But anyway, that is far fit happened in chapter one. And at that point, Queen Vashti says, I'm taking your royal crown off you. And that was the last time that she saw. So as it settled down, we'll come into chapter two. And the search was going across the land for young virgins for the king to be taken to, the, to, to live at the harem. And the harem was another uh, building at the palace. <clears throat> so there were commissioners appointed um, in all the provinces to search for, for uh, beautiful females. They had to be beautiful. And once they were at the harem, they would be summoned to the king's presence for his pleasure. And while they lived at the harem, they were looked after. They were looked after and, and they, uh, they were given beauty treatments. So picking up at verse 5 in chapter uh, 2, who was Esther? Now there was in the citadel of Susa a Jew of the tribe of Benjamin named Mordecai, some son of Jair, the son of Shimei, the son of Kish, who had been carried into exile from Jerusalem by Nebuchadnezzar. Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, among those taken captive with Jehoiakim, king of Judah. Mordecai had a cousin named Hadassah, whom he had brought up because she had neither father nor mother. This girl, who was also known as Esther, was lovely in form and features, and Mordecai had taken her in as his own daughter when her father and mother died. So, Fitwakena Butar was, she was actually called Hadassah. She didn't have a father or mother. But at this point in chapter 2, it doesn't tell us anything about him. It didn't tell her father and mother's names. And I think we'll come on to that in a few chapters down the line. But she was brought up by her cousin Mordecai, who was like a father to her, and no doubt had been teaching her the ways of the Lord in the Jewish ways. The Jews were her people, and Mordecai taught her uh, their ways, and, and, and you'll see that later in her actions. And just as he did, he maybe wasn't our direct father, but just as we as, as, as people in the congregation, that's just one of the, the things, or 
well, the attributes. We, we stand together as we de dedicate babies, and it may be nay your children, but we've all stood together to train them up in the ways of the Lord. And, and we as parents, it's our responsibility, but each and every one of you can be an influence in, in the children around you. And that's fit, fit Mordecai did. Mordecai had taken her as far as he could at this point, and she had been chosen to enter the king's harem. So, verse 8, when the king's order and edict had been proclaimed, many girls were brought into the citadel of Susa and put under the care of Haggai. Esther was also taken to the king's palace and entrusted to Haggai, who had charge of the harem. She'd been chosen by her looks, and that was the reason that she was chosen. But the Lord had a plan for her life. The day that she walked in, there's no way that she would have imagined how our story would have unfolded and how the Lord was going to use her. But she didn't get there overnight. She took it one step at a time. And sometimes we are guilty of looking at the end goal and getting overwhelmed about how do I get there? I came myself and in my work, I started a new job at the, the start of the year and we're Two companies came together and were trying to get procedures for one and procedures for another. And, and, and how do we mark RDD one thing and aligned? It's a difficult job in systems and processes. And I've got the end goal, 2022 August. And I started to think about that and I thought, oh man, how am I going to get there? How am I going to get there? And it takes, when you think too much about the big things, that it affects you for the small things. And how we get there is one step at a time. Focus on the next thing, and you'll get to the end goal. I think there's that saying, how do you, how do you eat a, an elephant or something? One bite at a time. I'm not sure if that's... I heard that somewhere. I think that's a saying. But anyway, it's the same. same. If it's near saying, it is new. That's what it means. Um, but let me encourage you today that whatever you're facing, whatever trial you're going through, or if it's just normal everyday life. Take a step back. Look at the bigger picture. Ask Jesus and move forward one step at a time. Do not worry about the end point. Just concentrate on that journey and the process of how you're going to get there. And in verse 9, it says, the girl pleased him and won his favor. Immediately, he provided her with beauty treatments and special foods. He assigned to her seven maids selected from the king's palace and moved her and her maids into the best place in the harem. So straight away, she was found favor under the, the person for, if I was in charge of the harem. <coughs> now I was looking at his name, Haggai. Somebody mind the, the bands you used to get, WWJD, what would Jesus do? So I was thinking about that, and I thought, I was thinking to myself as, as I was going through us, and just my own study, and what would Kevin do? And what would Kevin do? Kevin would go straight to the Hebrew names, as you know. So I went to the Hebrew names. What does Haggai mean? Google, of course. But Haggai in Hebrew, it means meditation, word, groaning, and separation. And she was preparing to be in the presence of the king 
under the care of Haggai. So she was under the care of meditation, word, groaning, and separation. And we can also prepare ourselves for the presence of the king by separating ourselves, meditating on the word, and moving towards his glory. It's so important that as we're on the, the journey to the end state, or I'll never be an end state, you'll always be moving, but so important to take time a while with Jesus. And I know that you're in that presence of the King already, if you're in that uh, instance and you're in that uh, quiet time, but when you do that, you're under the care of Jesus. He speaks to us and prepares for us for what lies ahead. And as you groan in the presence, as you're in the, in the Spirit and you pray, new life can be birthed in that situation under His care. And moving on to, to, to verse 10, it says, Esther had not revealed their nationality and family and background, family background, because Mordecai had forbidden her to do so. So Mordecai had told her before she went into the harem, didn't I tell him you're a Jew? Didn't I tell them your family background? Not yet, Tony White, not yet. So she hid her identity, and the reason she did this, because she didn't have a voice yet. And it can be, could have been easier for her to say, go in Argon's blazing about being Jewish, and the Jews are God's people, and we are the chosen people, but she would have been punted out of the palace pretty fast. And we can always show the love of Jesus. She, she was able to show the love of Jesus without going in and screaming for the rooftops and every person if I, if I came across, and showing the impact that he has in our lives. And sometimes in your situations, you maybe didn't have a voice yet. And, and, and as Christians, we're told, go and tell them about Jesus. Go and tell, show them the love of God. And sometimes with people over, in, in authority over you, sometimes you need to wait till you have a voice. You show the love of God. You, you go in, you mark up, build that relationship but not necessarily time to say, hey, the why you're living, by the way, you're a pagan and you need to change your whys. If somebody comes in and acts like that, it might not be the best why. And, and for me, looking at this, it really helped me um, to realize we don't have to be condemned because we're not shouting for the rooftops how I will walk. And sometimes we just have to show the love, build the relationship, we will get our voice, the doors will open and you have that conversations when the time is right. And, 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 and that's really um, important there. Esther's time would come and so will yours. Build your relationships, honor the Lord in everything, love your neighbor as yourself, your colleagues, and move forward one step at a time. So Mordecai kept coming back to, to, to check up on her um, and to see how she was getting on, and she was, she was doing fine. And moving on 
for chapter uh, 2, verse 12. It says, um, Before a girl's turn came to go into King Xerxes, she had to complete 12 months of beauty treatments prescribed for the woman, six months with oil and six with perfumes and cosmetics. 12 months of beauty treatments before entering the king's presence. There was a sign-up sheet for the uh, woman's meal last week. I'm sure if I put a sign-up sheet for the king's haram this morning, but a few of the women signing up. But she was taken to the king when it was her turn. Uh, and the next uh, morning, she would return to another part of the harem for, for the concubines. And, and the, the woman that was in there, that was only ever brought back to the king if they were summoned and they were asked by name. But in, in verse 15, it's Esther's turn. <clears throat> when the turn came for Esther, the girl Mordecai had adopted, the daughter of his uncle Abihail, to go to the king. She asked for nothing other than what Haggai, the king's eunuch, who was in charge of the harem, suggested. And Esther won favor of everyone who saw her. So remember that right at the start in verse 1, it told us for Esther was, but never mentioned anything about her dad or her mom. But right before she was taken into the king's presence, a time for she was probably feeling a bit nervous. This is my turn. I wonder if he's going to think of me. Right before that, in brackets, we're told that her dad is called Abihel. And Abihel in Hebrew means the father of strength. The father of strength. So right before, that's fine, the Bible and the word of the Lord tells us to tell us, it tells us to, um, that's our dad's name. If he's a father of strength, she must be strength. You have a father that is strength as well. So you must be strength. And if Esther can do it, so can we. It says in Joshua 1.9, Have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. We've been singing this morning, Before, before me, behind me all around me. He goes before us, he goes behind us. So she's gone into the king, and it says as soon as she went into the king, the king was attracted to her more than any other. He set a crown on her head, and she, made, she was made queen. He celebrated her, and she was on to the next part of finding her voice. She was at one step closer to find in our voice. So verse 19 to 21, I want to read it, but, but it's really important for the story. And Mordecai under, uncovers a plot to kill the king. Big Thana and Teresh were two of the king's officers who guarded the king's gate. And they became angry. It doesn't tell us why. They became angry with the king. And they conspired to kill him. 
But Mordecai overheard them. He'd been kept coming back to the, to the gate to, to check how Esther was doing. <coughs> and he had overheard them. So he in turn told Queen Esther. And uh, she told the king. And Big Thana and Haresh, Teresh ended up impaled on poles. And Queen Esther did credit, it tells us in the Bible, that Queen Esther did credit Mordecai with the information at the time. And normally Persian kings honored acts of allegiance to the king straight away. But this didn't happen in Mordecai's situation for some reason. And what I found interesting in this situation was Big Thana means gift of God. And even things that are gifts of God can become a hindrance to us, a thorn in our side, or have negative impacts in our lives unless we channel them properly. If we use them for, for the Lord's honor and for His glory. I'm going to say it again, even gifts from God can become a thorn in our side if we do not honor Him and use them for His glory. It's an interesting thought. Um, I'm just going to leave that with you there. In chapter 3, so this is far, here comes Haman. We'll read 1 to 6. So after these events, King Xerxes honored Haman, son of Hamadatha, the Agagite, elevating him and giving him a seat of honor higher than all of the nobles. All the royal officials at the king's gate knelt down and paid honor to Haman, for the king had commanded this concerning him. But Mordecai would not bow down and pay him honor. Then the royal officials at the king's gate asked Mordecai, Why do you disobey the king's command? Day after day they spoke to him, but he refused to comply. Therefore they told Haman about it, to see whether Mordecai's behavior would be tolerated, for he had told them he was a Jew. When Haman saw that Mordecai would not kneel down or pay him honor, he was enraged. Yet, having learned who Mordecai's people were, he scorned the idea of killing only Mordecai. Instead, Haman looked for a way to destroy all Mordecai's people, the Jews throughout the whole kingdom, the whole 127 provinces. So the king had made it Haman second in command. It says he was an Agagite. So Agag, Agag was the king of the Amalekites. Hence they were known as Agagites. And the Agagites were the enemy of the Lord's people. And the word enraged appears here again. Haman had all the money the world had to offer but it wasn't enough for him. What he was yearning was the respect and honor of the people. And that's why he was so mad for this Jew wouldn't about doing to him as he was walking past. He was looking for elevation in the, in the, in the public eye. Going back to the Hebrew, Haman means noise. So here we have the noise of the enemy. We'll come back to it later, but Zimdi just feel at times the enemy is just a noise that gets in. 
different situations in your life. It can get in, and then your mind just goes, and then if you focus on that, you're never going to achieve this. Your healing's never coming. You're so ugly. You might as well give up. Enemy's always going to do what he can do to take your eyes off of Christ. Because that's all he can do. We sung in that last song. Then on the third, the battle is over. The war is over, sorry. But the battle is going to continue because all you can do is try and trip you up and keep your eyes off of Christ. And Mordecai means warrior. And it tells us in the Bible that we are more than conquerors in Christ. In Ephesians 6, we're told to put on the full armor of God so we can stand against the devil's schemes. There will be trials. It tells us that. There will be schemes. But you're not alone. So Haman went into the king and said, they're not obeying the king's laws here, and it's not in the king's interest. It's not in the king's best interest to tolerate them. I'll give you 10,000 talents to the king's administration if you issue a decree to destroy them. And in verse 10, it says, so the king took his signet ring from his finger and gave it to Haman, son of Hamadatha the Agagite, the enemy of the Jews. Keep the money, the king said to Haman, and do with the people as you please. Then on the thirteenth day of the first month, the royal secretaries were summoned. They wrote out in the script of each province and in the language of each people all Haman's orders to the king's satraps, the governors of the various provinces and the nobles of the various peoples. They were written in the name of King Xerxes himself and sealed with his own ring. The king's ring had initials eh, or something, whatever it would be to, to sign, and it was an raised surface. And normally it would be made of silver or gold if he was a king. And if there was letters, there would be a, a bit of wax on the, the, uh, the letter, and his ring would be used to imprint it, and that was the king's seal of approval. So here we have it, that the king has sealed this, is his approval, and this edict that would be to destroy all the Jewish people in the land. So unknowingly, because she still had not um, told him about her uh, background, he unknowingly had signed off on his wife's death. And picking up at uh, verse 13, dispatches were sent to couriers to all the king's provinces with the order to destroy, kill, and annihilate all the Jews, young and old, women and little children, on a single day, the 13th day, the 12th month, the month of Adar, and to plunder, plunder their goods. A copy of the text of the edict was to be issued as law in every province and made known to the people of every nationality so that they would be ready for that day. Spurned on by the king's command, the couriers went out and the edict was issued in the citadel of Susa. The king and Haman sat down to drink, but the city of Susa was bewildered. 
When Mordecai learned of all that had been done, he tore his clothes, put on sackcloth and ashes, and went out into the city, wailing loudly and bitterly. But he went only as far as the king's gate, because nobody clothed clothed in sackcloth was allowed to enter it. In every province to which the edict and order of the king came, there was great mourning among the Jews, with fasting, weeping, and wailing, many lay in sackcloth and ashes. So Esther's eunuchs in attendance, they told her about Mordecai, and she was distressed. Why is Mordecai acting like this? She sent him clothes to wear, but he refused. So she then got Hathak, one of her attendants, assigned to go and meet Mordecai and just to see if on earth is going wrong with him, going on with him. And in verse 6 to 8 in chapter 4, Hathak went out to Mordecai in the open square of the city in front of the city gate, king's gate. Mordecai told him everything that had happened to him, including the exact amount of money Haman had promised to pay into the royal treasury for the destruction of the Jews. He also gave him a copy of the text of the edict for their annihilation, which had been published in Susa, and to show to Esther and explain it to her. And when he told, her, and he told him to urge her to go into the king's presence to beg for mercy and please plead with him for her people. <coughs> Mordecai was distressed. He was pushing her. Go into the king. Go and tell him, look, this is happening. He was overcome by his situation. And you can almost hear as we read that in his voice that he was speaking fast, pushing her. Tell her to get in there fast. Is MD guilty of speaking in the moment without fully thinking before responding? It would have been easy for Esther to just get riled up by what Mordecai got to say, gun in all guns blazing. But again, a few times I've said that, she would have been thrown out as quick as she came in. I can't, I need to think things through eh, when I get, and I'm certainly guilty of eh, getting Miriam an answer too quickly at times and causing havoc or bother and then going back five, ten minutes later and saying, Actually, you were spot on there. (laughs) And then I have to apologize. And uh, I'm good at apologizing. I can't apologize. And apology is actually a strength. Um, I've spoken to some folk, and they would think apologizing is a sign of weakness. But let me tell you this morning, it's actually a sign of strength if you can apologize. I do it quite a lot. And again, that says, but. Only why. Fit did she do? In chapter 4, verse 9 to 11. As he came back and reported to Esther what Mordecai had said and instructed him to say, all the king's officials and the people of the royal provinces who know that for any man or woman who approaches the king in the inner court without being summoned to the king has but one law, that he has to be put to death. The only exception to this is for the king to extend the gold scepter to him and spare his life. But 30 days have passed since 
Ah, yes, there have been called into his presence. So the first thing she did was she counted the cost and realized that her life was at risk. If she went straight into that king, she could have been put to death because she wasn't summoned. So straight away, she counted the cost. And she went back, or they went back uh, to Mordecai. When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Do not think that because you are in the king's house, you alone of all the Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place, but you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to royal position for such a time as this. So after that next exchange, she realized that the lives of her people were more important than her life alone. That's why she was there. That was her purpose. In chapter, uh, verse 15, it says, Then Esther sent this reply to Mordecai, Go gather together all the Jews who are in Susa and fast for me. Do not eat or drink for three days, night or day. I and my maids will fast as you do. When this is done, I will go to the king, even though it is against the law. And if I perish, I perish. She was now in a place that she had her voice. She was the queen of the land and she was a leader. She took a step back and said to the people, go and fast and pray for three days. She didn't go running in, but she took that step back and prayed and fasted about her situation before the Lord. But she did say, then I'm going to go forever. And if I perish, I perish. She was willing to lose her life. In everyday life, it's easy to go straight in in the moment without consulting God. But Esther does give us a great um, lesson here. And in chapter 5, there's a good quote in the study Bible. <coughs> it says, sometimes we have to act as if it all depends on us and pray as if it all depended on God. And that's what happened here with Mordecai and Esther. They prayed, but they knew that there was a, a finite period of time before this edict was going to come to pass and the Jewish people was going to be destroyed, and they knew they had to move. They had to act. So paraphrasing through chapter 5, Esther went to the king, and he asked her, what would you like, my darling? Even up to half my kingdom, I will give you. And she asked him to get Haman to a banquet. So he did so at once, and again asked, what is your petition? If the king has found favor in me, Come back with Haman to another banquet tomorrow, and I will tell you. So Haman, he was so excited about this. He went home boasting to his wife. There's only me and the king being invited to this banquet tomorrow with the queen. He was full of self-importance, and he passed Mordecai again at the king's gate, who would not rise for him. He wasn't scared. And again, he was so mad as he was going home. But he never killed him. He never touched him. But he got back and he told his family <coughs> and the folks in his house. And they says, fit you should do. You should erect a big pole and impale Mordecai on it. It's about time he's done with. 
And we'll move on to chapter 6. That night the king could not sleep, so he ordered the book of his chronic, the chronicles, the record of his reign, to be brought in and be read to him. It was found recorded there that Mordecai had exposed Bigthana and Teresh, two of the king's officers who guarded the doorway, who had conspired to assassinate King Xerxes. And the king asked, what honor and recognition has Mordecai received for this? Nothing has been done for him, his attendants answered. Just at the right time, the Lord spoke. As Romans 8.28 says, he was working together for good for those who loved him. Remember back when Mordecai actually saved him? And that's fine, he normally would have got his reward. He didn't. But at the right time, he was about to. And the Lord's timing is sovereign. And we can partner with him in prayer and converse with him through anything that we're walking through. Pray as if it all depends on the Lord. And at the right time, he will use you. So just after this, Haman arrived in the king's courts, and he had come to ask the king if he could impale Mordecai and tell him, look, this is still going on, still nay bowing before him and a walk past. I think he was just a wee bit too late. As we, we pick it up at verse 6, the king asked him, what should be done for the man the king delights to honor? Now Haman thought to himself, is there anybody the king would like to honor more than me? So him, thinking that the king was speaking about him, he gave the best answer he could. So he answered, for the man the king delights to honor, (coughs) have them bring a royal robe to the, the king as worn, and a horse the king is ridden, one with a royal crest placed on his head. Then let the robe and horse be entrusted to one of the king's most noble princes. Let them robe the man the king delights to honor and lead him on the horse through the city streets, proclaiming before him, this is what is done for the man the king delights to honor. Go at once, the king commanded Haman. Get the robe and the horse and do just as you have suggested for Mordecai the Jew, who sits at the king's gate. Do not neglect anything you have recommended. So Haman, the noise of the enemy, got the robe and the horse. He robed Mordecai and led him on horseback through the city streets, proclaiming before him, this is what is done for the man the king delights to honor. And afterwards, Mordecai returned to the king's gate, but Haman rushed home with his head covered in grief. So Haman, like I said, he thought he was going to be honored by the king. The noise of the enemy that was supposed to be the end for Mordecai actually became his victory, and it was 
the noise of the enemy that actually paraded him and seated him in the courts of the king. No weapon that is formed against you will prosper. Whatever you're going through, it says in James 1, to persevere, find joy in trials. As you persevere, you will grow. It may be a battle. He's won the war and reigns victorious. And that is the victory that we walk in this morning. And moving on to, to, to chapter 7, verse 3. Then Queen Esther answered, If I have found favor with you, O king, and if it pleases your majesty, grant me my life. This is my petition. And spare my people. This is my request. For I and my people have been sold for destruction and slaughter and annihilation. If we had merely been sold as male and female slaves, I would have kept quiet because no such distress would justify disturbing the king. King Xerxes asked Queen Esther, who is he? Where is the man who dared do such a thing? King still doesn't care. He's speaking about the Jews. Esther said, the adversary and enemy is the vile Haman. So Haman, the noise, set up the trap for the warrior, the Lord Mordecai. If you read through chapter 7, he was the one who ended up impaled on it himself. And moving into chapter 8 and 9, Esther was given Haman's estate and she appointed Mordecai over it. Now, the previous edict that was written by the king to destroy the Jews, it couldn't be overturned. It was sealed by the king, but he'd taken his ring, the, um, Haman, and he'd given it to Mordecai. And he gave him free reign to write whatever letter he could to counteract the original law put in place by Haman. And he gave them the seal of approval. And the Bible says in chapter 8, Now the tables were turned, and the Jews had the upper hand over those who hated them. And on the day the enemy thought they were going to destroy the Israelites, they rose and defeated them, and they were saved. <coughs> this reminds me that we can't change what the enemy thinks, and what the enemy is going to try. So they, they, they couldn't stop the, the previous edict, but they could write a new one. We're often in a battle with the enemy, but we can, cha we can change how we see the battle and how we respond as we have God's seal of approval, and He has made His promises towards us. He died for us to give us new life, to be known as children of the King, free, not orphans, stuck in chains and bondage, but to live a life that honors God. He's given us the sword of the Spirit, which in, in Ephesians 6, he calls the word of the Lord, the sword of the Spirit. And for all the noise that he's got to offer, we can counteract the enemy with the stuff that's in this book, with the things that the Lord says to us. If one of these nascent the War Rooms movie He's a, it's a great example of this Christian movie for this is really um, 
a, a great example of this. And the devil and his army, they'll try their hardest to make noise and put a stumbling block in your way. But God's here to tell you this morning that it's not true. The enemy says you're not enough. And the Bible says, doesn't this just say you're, you're enough? The Bible says you're more than enough. The enemy says you're ugly. The Bible says you're wonderfully made, made in his image, and exactly how he meant you to be. The enemy says you're a waste of space, you're no use to anybody. The Bible says if you're willing, he will use you, no matter how young you are, no matter how old you are. What have you got to offer him a day? Enemy says you will never get out of this financial difficulty and the poverty you're living through. God says he will provide your every need. Seek first the kingdom, make that your priority. Then everything else shall be given unto you. The enemy says nobody loves you. The Bible says for God so loved you. And even though it was only you, he would still have given his son so that whoever believes in him would have everlasting life. Enemy says you're unwanted. Nobody wants you. The Bible says in John 15, 16, you did not choose me, but I choose you. Go and bear fruit and love each other. Enemy says you're an orphan, you're all alone. And the Bible says you're a child of the king, a friend, and not a servant. Enemy says, I've nobody around, you've nobody around you. You have a family here at FCC, and the Bible tells us to live life with each other. If you struggle, shout out to those around you. Enemy says, you're going to be bound in chains for the rest of your days. The Lord says, you're free because of my blood, my sacrifice, and my resurrection. And who is free is free indeed. The enemy says you're unworthy and unrighteous, and he's made you righteous through his sacrifice. The enemy says you're never going to be able to do this. The Bible says, I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. And the enemy says you're never going to survive, but in James 1 it says, persevere, find joy, it's going to help you grow. The Bible says don't be anxious and fearful of what you're going through. You'll never come through. No, sorry, that's the enemy. It says that in the Bible. The Bible says, don't worry about tomorrow, for today has enough of its own. Peace is found in him, and his perfect love is the only thing that can cast out fear. He cares about you so much, more than the birds who he feeds and the lilies which he dresses. The enemy says, you're going down. And the Bible says... No weapon formed against you is going to prosper. You're coming through the other side. Your issue can be your biggest victory. The power of your testimony in the other side can be the road to victory for somebody else as well, as well as you. You never know. It's maybe why you're walking through the issue that you have been walking through so that your testimony could be the victory for somebody else. I shared a song on Friday in the prayer chat called your Hands by J.J. Heller. And she was crippled by anxiety and fear, having numerous panic attacks every day. 
and wrote that song after coming through the worst of it. And without advertising, it went round other radio channels in America, and people's lives were changed through hearing the song. So I think her and her husband was playing the song, and somebody was dancing, and it was on TV. One radio host got window it, and then it went round. And uh, people start to phone in and saying, look, I'm finding freedom in this. I'm, I'm managing to persevere and getting through. And her, her enemy's noise had become the avenue to others' freedom and victory. She still deals with the issue a day, but she's got the tools to deal with it. She says, when, when I feel anxious, or when I feel like I'm slipping into fear, I tell somebody that I love and trust and ask for prayer. And the key for her is not to get isolated in the fear or the noise of the enemy because she just becomes more trapped. And it is hard to admit to your friends the struggles, but it's so important for her mental health. And a quote from her that she said, which I thought was great, was, a life of fear is not the kind of life that God wants for me and not what he wants for you. God wants you to live a full life that means it will be full of comfort and risk, adventure and monotony, joy and fear. Through it all, we need to remember that each day is a gift. We did nothing to, to earn it. Um, and she, she does have a, a, she's written a lot of her songs in this anxiety and fear um, side. And for anybody who does struggle with that, that she, she's got a, um, She's got a collection of songs, a playlist of songs on, on Spotify um, called Peaceful Songs for Anxiety. Now, I heard it myself, but there is power in music. And if that is a, an area that you struggle with, sit in the Lord's presence. Let the songs of the Lord wash over you. If you remember when the King Saul was troubled by the evil spirit, he got David in with his harp and his lyre, and that would bring him relief. And there is power in music. And I'm sure that some of the Jews were crippled by fear in that 127 provinces when a decree from Haman went out. And maybe you're struggling with fear or any other noise of the enemy this morning. But it's time to come against some of these areas. Be released in some, move in some others, and persevere fear through some, some others and grow living with the kingdom mindset as we face life's trials. And using the tools he's given us, we can counteract the lies of the enemy. And that's what I wanted to share this morning, but I just want to give you a, an opportunity to, to respond if, if there's any of that areas that you, that you are struggling with. So just while every head is bowed and, and eye is closed, if there is any of the noise of the enemy which has been troubling you, you're struggling, you're going through, please just raise your hand in a sign that you're giving Jesus control of the situation. And, and I'll just say a simple prayer um, or, or us as, um, as, as, as every eye is, is closed and nobody's looking. Um, and we'll win away long. Another few few seconds, and then we'll pray. 
Okay, thank you for those of us put their hand up. I can just put them down now. I see you. <coughs> Father, we thank you. We thank you for those who responded this morning. We thank you that you are greater than anything the enemy could throw at us. The enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Father, we thank you that in our lives this morning, we will be victorious. Father, we give you full control of our situations. Come into our lives again. Heal us. Send us healing for we need to be healed. Loosen the chains for the chains need to be breaking free. In Jesus' name, we broke off on the addiction. And Father, we pray that folks will be released and right in this room right now. And Father, we thank you that it's all about you, Jesus. We ask it in your name, amen. And we're just going to get the, the band up in a, in, a, in a second, but just as we're in a time of worship, um, you were meant for such a time as this. This is far you were meant to be. And they're just sitting here this morning, but far you are in your life and far you're headed, far are you going? Are you living up to your potential? Are you living the life he has for you? If you're in a new season, a crossroads in life, maybe not sure far you're going, but you feel the Lord is something for you, you're not sure, or you just sold out and you want God to, to use you. I'd also love to pray for you this morning. Um, I think we hen on a prayer out the front um, since the, the, the COVID piece, but, but there's power in laying in hands. And if there is any of these areas that for Matthew is uh, uh, playing and we're singing our last song, if anybody wants to pray,